May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. The day is, is etched into my memory like it happened yesterday. March 12th, 2020. I would imagine it happened here about the same time. But I remember standing in the workroom of the office at Redlands First Church with my staff surrounding me and having a long-ranging conversation and making the final decision that out of an abundance of love and caution, care and concern for our church community, but for the larger Redlands community, that we would take the, uh, the uh, advice of the State Department of Health and suspend all in-person activities at the church. My, it was Thursday, in a driving rain, we made a tough decision. I would suspect that somewhere around that same time frame, um, following a very similar process, that St. Paul's made that same decision. And then on March 15th, three days later, Sunday, what we were doing we had our first live stream. Is it me, Lucas? Is it? Okay, got it. Okay, so um, where's that handheld mic? Let's, let's just uh, shift on the fly. Okay. And it was, it was rugged. It was rocky. Just that worship service. But we, we figured it out. But that was only part of it. Because suddenly now, administrative meetings are not happening, okay? Bible studies are not happening. Sunday school isn't happening. Youth group isn't happening. All of the things that, 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 that we counted on, and not just we in that congregation, but, but churches who made that tough decision, all of the things that, that, that we counted on to, to shape our life together, to answer faith questions, to give us spiritual nourishment, to give us a sense of, of connection with one another, to support us during difficult times. Poof. It was gone. Now, at first, if you, if you remember, at first when we made this decision, we were told, that's okay, it's only going to be three weeks. Right? Then it was going to be, oh, we'll be back in church by Easter. Right? Remember that? Then it was, no, 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 it's okay. Everything is going to be good. You'll be back in church by Christmas. And then it was Easter again. And Redlands First didn't hold its first in-person worship post-pandemic until the Sunday after Easter in 2021. I remember, I distinctly remember when we realized that it wasn't going to be three weeks. I, I don't want to say that I was panicking, but that's as close to panicking as I ever want to get. How, how, how are we going to be the church? There was no book for this. I didn't take a class in seminary for this. I was not equipped to not just lead a church, but to, to order and organize and keep a church going and vibrant in the midst of a global pandemic that had no end in sight. 
How, how are we going to pay our staff? How are we keep the lights on? Because we had this mindset that in order to do all of these things, we have to pass the lights on Sunday morning. Because that was our paradigm. That's all we knew. And you know, it, it's, it's hard. I was, was thinking about this this week. That that was almost four years ago. And it boggles my imagination. Because it's almost like it happened yesterday. Because the reality is, is that the, the, the tremors of that global pandemic and the disruption to, to the church life, but this disruption to, to all of our lives, still ripples. It's like aftershocks of a major earthquake. You know, the, the earthquake in the Philippines, in the first two hours, there were 15 aftershocks above five and a couple above six. I don't know about you, but I, I still feel that sense of shaking that is a consequence of just how disrupting the pandemic was to so many things. And we're still figuring it out. But that's the thing. We're figuring it out. There's two, there's two things that really help us do this. One is, is that we stay rooted in our, in our core theology, in our core faith. We stay rooted in the promise of what God is still doing, pandemic notwithstanding. And we start to apply the lessons that we have learned. And four years later, we are figuring it out. I'm not sure that I can, can say what it will look like to put that fully in the past tense, to say we have figured it out. But I'm, I'm satisfied now with knowing that we are figuring it out. For now, that's the best we can hope for. And I bring this up because this experience reminds us, it gives us a, a, a frame of reference to understand uh, the prophecy from Jeremiah that Jen read earlier. I think Jen stepped out, but thank you, Jen, for that. Um, Jeremiah is living in Jerusalem during and after the conquest of the Babylonians which we've talked about it a little bit before and just a little bit of background. The Babylonians came into Judah, the, the, the kingdom around Jerusalem, um, and for many years they basically made war all throughout Judah and turned a bunch of people into famine victims, turned a bunch more people into refugees, and just outright the whole bunch more. And after they had subdued the surrounding countryside, they turned their sights onto Jerusalem, which still had its walls. Jerusalem still had the temple. And Nebuchadnezzar's armies laid siege to the city of Jerusalem for 18 months. And finally, them, the walls came down. The temple was razed to the ground. This was the most cataclysmic event in Israel's life and history to that point. Everything that they knew about their life, about their faith, about their larger communities was gone. Not quite poof like the pandemic, 
But within two years, everything had changed. The best and the brightest among them had been carted off to Babylon in exile where they were, there would remain for more than 40 years. And some of the, these leaders never did go back to Jerusalem. So their, their, their leadership structure, their religious, social, political leadership structure is gone. What do we do? Their place, God's home address, the temple, one place where they could go and make sacrifices and be right with God is gone. They have no capacity to worship in the ways that they had known. What do you do? What do you do when you are a person of faith and you have dealt with all of this? What do you do? Where do you find hope? Where do you find solace? Where do you see through the rubble and the debris of such a cataclysmic event? Where do you discern the path to take the next faithful step? And Jeremiah is the prophet who is there on the ground. Jeremiah is the one who, who, who is, it's kind of like God has his ear. That in the midst of all of this, Jeremiah gets and understands that as, as horrible as this was, that this isn't the end. This isn't the end of God's story. This isn't the end of the Israelites. This isn't end of Jerusalem. It's not the end of the temple. It's not the end. He has no idea necessarily what it will look like when it's all figured out. But what he does do in this prophecy and in, in, in other things that he does that you see in the, the book that bears his name, he takes tangible steps to give hope to the people of Israel that are mired in this occupation of a devastated Jerusalem. He buys a vineyard for one thing. He has the, 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 the opportunity to purchase property, a real estate deal, and the of all of this, he buys a vineyard as a sign of hope, kind of putting his money where his mouth is. And then in the passage that Jen read for us earlier, he does two things that are very important. First of all, when he talks about the fulfilling of the promise to have a descendant of David be on the throne of Jerusalem, it gives them the hope that there is still a political future of the kingdom, that there are people that are going to be, uh, that are going to rise up. There are people who are going to emerge who can lead Israel even during this tumultuous time. And then on the other hand, he talks about the Levitical priests. And even though both kings and Levitical priests had their issues within the, the history of Israel, in this moment, in their greatest need, by helping them understand that they have political leadership, that they have religious leadership, that the things that they had known and cared for that had shaped their life were going to continue. Even in the cataclysm, even in their darkest hour, Jeremiah is, stay, is standing up and he's saying God's not done with Israel yet and that God will help raise up the people that can help Israel through this time. Israel, uh, uh, Jeremiah doesn't pretend to know all of the details. He can't, from this standpoint, paint the picture and give a date certain as to when all of this is going to happen, just like we can't pick when COVID 
and the effects of COVID are actually over. But he paints a picture of what it will look like as they figure it out together. With God present in their midst, just like God had been all along. This this critically important text for us to celebrate today, especially on Advent, in Advent, because we recognize not just with the, the lingering effects uh, of COVID and the pandemic, we look at our life, we look at our world, we look at our politics, we, we, we look at everything, and there's, there's a lot about what we see that is not recognizable. We're living through times that, that in our generation, we've not lived through, at least in this country. People that have lived in other places have seen similar sorts of things. But the one thing that we're reminded is we may not know ultimately what the end will look like. We know that if we keep true to, the, the, to our principles, we'll find our way through. In the church, if we keep true to our faith and our understanding of the promise that even in the midst of the upheaval that God is still present with us, not just the idea of God, but the very heart of God, the love, the mercy, the reconciliation, the transformation, that inclusive self-giving love of God is still here present with us and can be seen and experienced in the expressions of love that we share with one another and that we share with the community when we hold on to that faith and that hope. And we remember who we are. And we remember who we're called to be. By God's grace, we'll find a way. Of that, I have no doubt. And I've, and I've seen it, not just here in the six months that I've been here, not just in the church in Redlands that I experienced most of the pandemic with, but in conversations with colleagues who are in the same place in churches who have all experienced the same kind of thing. That's how they're finding their way through it. They're holding on to that promise that we celebrate the promise that, that, that we remember in Advent, in, as, as we prepare for the nativity and the birth of Christ, the idea that God became present with us, as the gospel writer uh, for John reminds us, in the beginning was the word, and not like spoken word or written word, but the word, the logos, is the heart of God. In the beginning was the logos. In the beginning was the heart of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh. The heart of God became flesh to live among us, to teach us, to guide us, to empower us, to transform our lives through the practice of self-giving love. And Advent is the season that we set apart in preparation for the nativity to remember these things, to take a step back from, you know, Mariah Carey's uh, Christmas song, Blaring in the Malls. And I love that song, but you hear it a lot, okay? 
all of these things, all of the season, all of the family, and all of the food preparation, and all of the fighting in the crowds, and all of the things that can distract us from, from, from a spiritual standpoint, what we're doing this season, to take a step back and to listen and to watch and to open our hearts and our life to the presence of the risen Christ even now. That presence that can guide us as we continue to figure out what it means, what it looks like for us to be St. Paul's United Methodist Church. Not just today in this moment, but what is it going to look like tomorrow? What is it going to look like in the new year as we re-energize our ministries to care for children and youth and their families, as we reach out in mission to the community around us, not only in Coronado, but to San Diego and beyond, as we do all of these things that have been a part and parcel of our life in this congregation for as long as any of us can remember, what does it look like in a 2024 post-pandemic world? I wish I could pull out a crystal ball and tell you precisely what it's going to look like. Can't. But what I can assure you is that we will figure it out. And we will figure it out together. Because people of faith have been doing that in difficult times And if they can do it, right? If they can do it, that's exactly it. And we will do it in, 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 in prayer and worship and together, together we'll figure it out because people of faith always have and by God's grace, always will. Thanks be to God.